Well, hello and welcome to a new podcast series of discussions from the National Secular Society, Exploring Religious Freedom. I'm Alistair Lichton, Head of Education at the NSS, and over the coming months I'll be speaking to a variety of activists and experts about religious freedom. What does it mean? What does it protect? What are its limits? And how might it be abused? We'll discuss how religious freedom is threatened in theocratic and authoritarian regimes, and also in more liberal, otherwise secular democracies. For our inaugural episode, I was joined by our Chief Executive, Stephen Evans. Stephen leads the National Secular Society, which works for the separation of religion and state, and equal respect for everyone's human rights, so that no one is either advantaged or disadvantaged on account of their beliefs. So welcome, Stephen. Hello. Uh, I thought we'd start with the basics then. Uh, What is religious freedom? Well, religious freedom is a principle. It's a basic fundamental right which gives us the freedom to think, to express, and to act upon whatever it is that we we believe. Uh, So it includes the right to practice a religion through worship and observance or whatever, Um, but it also includes the freedom to change your religion and not to follow a religion at all. Um, or to have someone else's religion imposed upon you. So for me, it's a good thing. Uh, It's something that's for everyone. Uh, It provides the framework for a society in which people of different faiths and beliefs can live together, where minority faiths and beliefs are tolerated and no one is persecuted on account of whatever it is that they believe. It's a principle that given legal force by being part of the European Convention of Human Rights, which means anyone who feels that his or her rights have been violated by the state uh, can have a case heard before the court, as many people have, and in doing so have carved out an understanding of what religious freedom means and where its limits lie. So I think one of the key things to understand is that while freedom of belief is absolute, you can believe whatever it is you want, uh, but the freedom to manifest your belief is a qualified right, which means it can be set aside in certain circumstances. Okay, that's a word that's not maybe familiar to everyone. What does it mean for it to be qualified and could be set aside? Well, religious freedom isn't a license for religion to run amok in the public square. You know, there has to be some limits. So Article 9 of the Convention comes in two parts. Part 1 gives everyone the right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion. But the second part qualifies that. And I'll I'll, I'll read you what it states. Freedom to manifest one's religion or belief shall be subject only to such limitations as are prescribed by law and are necessary in a democratic society in the interests of public safety, for the protection of public order, health, morals, or the protection of the rights and freedoms of others. So there you can see straight away that there are plenty of circumstances where it may be legitimate to override someone's, someone's wish to manifest their beliefs. And when we have a clash of rights, we need to determine when it's reasonable to interfere with someone's freedom. And I'll give one very clear example, which I think most of us will agree on. Hopefully. Um, (laughs) Well, not necessarily, actually, but um, consider the scenario of Jehovah's Witnesses refusing to allow their child to receive a blood transfusion, which would save their life. And they do that, of course, in the name of their religious freedom and their parental rights. So this, you know, I'm not making this up. This is an example that has come up numerous times. And the courts have had to decide whether the child's right to life outweighs the parent's right to manifest their religion. And understandably, I think, the life of the child has taken precedence. Um, Because it so obviously um, is an infringement 
of another person's rights um, that the parents' rights can be set aside in this circumstance. And it's not even a major infringement, I would argue, because the parents aren't required to renounce their religion. They can still follow it. Um, but this particular manifestation of their religion, uh, the courts have decided, can be restricted because of the harm it causes. So that's quite a clear example of the limit. To be clear, this uh, the, the manifestation. The manifestation here is them making the choice for the child. It's not... Uh, we might have our own opinions, but an adult wants to do something to themselves that maybe people who don't share that religion would look at and just mm-hmm. completely could not understand. Uh, I mean, the state you know, forcing an, an adult to have a blood transfusion they, they didn't want, that would seem to be an unreasonable imposition on religious freedom. Yeah, I think it's one thing to take away your own uh, right to life your own life, that's, that's one thing. To take away someone else's life, well, that's, that's another thing altogether. Um, you know, but sometimes it's not so clear-cut. You know, religious practices can sometimes conflict with secular law or, or secular morality, should we say. And this does create friction points, which in turn creates the debates that we see around religious freedom. Um, the issue of the religious slaughter of animals springs to mind and debates around burqa bans and so on. So, you know, you know, sometimes these are complex debates and reasonable people can disagree on where we draw the line and where the limits lie. But, you know, there clearly are circumstances where it is reasonable to say to someone, sorry, you can't do that, even if your religion mandates it. Um, and I think this is perhaps where the narrative has gone astray a little bit because mm. some religious groups like to push the idea that religious freedom is absolute. Um, and, and well, yes, the freedom to believe whatever you like is absolute, but the freedom to manifest that belief certainly isn't. And I've long been concerned that the concept of religious freedom has been distorted by some people who wish to impose their religion or their religious values on others. Um, so, you know, as you'll be aware, the phrase religious freedom and religious liberty have, I think, been hijacked by the religious right and twisted from what I think was its original meaning into some sort of disingenuous code words to, you know, referring to a license to discriminate and control the lives of others. And, you know, we're seeing discrimination, particularly against gay people, actually, uh, sometimes justified on the basis of religious freedom. But that's not what it's about. Religious freedom isn't about imposing your beliefs and values on others, uh, particularly in ways that cause harm and restrict the rights of others. It, it does seem then that there is, there is confusion about what exactly religious freedom means. And then there are also, as just people who are actively trying to misuse this phrase. Um, and of course, there are areas, grey areas, where reasonable people can disagree. So how, when you've got two different people with different understands of religious freedom, how can they come together and try and either reach agreement or at least move things along? Well, in civil society, we need civil debate, we need discussion. But if, you know, if all else fails, um, you know, we have the legislative process where you can argue your case. So if the government wants to you know, bring about a new law, then you know, both sides can bring their case. And hopefully the government will say, well, OK, uh, you know, we've heard both sides, but this is the side we're coming down on. But if all else fails, then that's, that's when it ends up in the courts, as these cases so often do. So, Stephen, what would you say are the biggest challenges to religious freedom in the UK? Well, right from the off, I would say that the most egregious restrictions on religious freedom, the the, the worst violations are happening outside the UK. Um, I I think we have a 
somewhat secularish outlook in the UK, which prevents the worst kind of violations that we see in countries with uh, a more theocratic bent, shall we say, particularly Islamic nations, where there is a great deal of persecution going on. Um, but also authoritarian states such as China and North Korea, where we've seen terrible religious freedom violations. Mm. Whenever politicians take a particular view of religion, uh, and that can be an atheistic worldview too, and enact that into law, they begin to fundamentally undermine religious freedom. Uh, so where we have Sharia law, apostasy codes, blasphemy laws, you know, the religious freedoms of millions of people, uh, millions of people are being harmed. Yeah. But that said, there are certainly plenty of barriers to religious freedom being fully realized in the UK too. Uh, for starters, we have a state church. Uh, the head of state, the monarch, is actually required to be an Anglican. So, you know, what kind of message does that send out when your head of state isn't even afforded religious freedom? And you know what? All that trickles down. We have laws requiring worship in schools, uh, all schools, not just faith schools. Uh, but a third, a third of our schools aren't in fact faith schools, which means that pupils and parents' religious freedom are being frequently undermined, particularly where they have no option other than a faith school. And a new report published by the National Secular Society just this month um, showed that almost three in 10 families across England live in areas where most or all of the closest schools, well, primary schools, uh, are faith schools. And we know that over half the primary schools in rural areas are faith-based. So the system is actually forcing children into faith schools. And that's not a good place to be from a religion, uh, a religious freedom perspective. Yeah, it's interesting because... Uh, from our from our point of view, perhaps incorrectly, faith schools are often justified in te in terms of being about religious freedom. Well, this is one of the examples where you give religious freedom to one group. You know, you, you extend the right of faith groups to have their own schools. It starts to encroach on the rights and freedoms of other people. So, you know, the scenario that I've given you that if your local school is a faith school. And, you know, you have little option but to send your child to that school and that starts to encroach on your rights. So I think, you know, if we have inclusive secular schools for all, I don't think that in any way impedes anyone's religious freedom. Uh, OK, you might not have the chance to for your child to go to a school of your faith choosing. But, you know, the school isn't going to undermine your faith. You can still practice it in private, at home, in the place of worship. It's just that school isn't seen as a, an extension of that, you know, that, that kind of that religious community. So, um, yeah, I think for me, the fairest way to balance everyone's rights is just to have secular inclusive schools, you know, certainly not atheistic schools, just secular schools where everyone's freedom of beliefs are respected. And that's as far as the state needs to go in terms of uh, honoring people's religious freedom. It's just, you know, you don't undermine their freedom, um, but you certainly don't have to say yes to every demand they come up with. It's interesting a point you, you, you made there about certain violations of religious freedom that could be seen as symbolic or you know quite theoretical trickling down to practical implications on religious freedom what is the national secular society doing to reclaim religious freedom um, well, right from the get-go, we've been about ensuring religious freedom is something that everyone can enjoy. Uh, our founder, Charles Bradlaugh MP, was denied his right to a seat in Parliament on account of his beliefs. He worked to ensure that elected representatives had the right to affirm rather than swear a religious oath. Uh, and it was his Oaths Act in 1888 that made this possible. And, you know, we're still at it today. Today, we're still challenging the religious privileges that result in erosions of other people's freedoms. Um, and, you know, it, it's sometimes said that for every religious privilege, there's a victim. And I think that's right. And I think we have lots of problems in the UK with respect to minority faith communities. 
communities where individual freedoms are being lost or subsumed by group rights. Um, take, for example, Sharia courts. Uh, yes, tolerating them is tolerating manifestations of religion. It's granting people religious freedom. But, you know, what we don't think about is of the rights of the vulnerable minority women within those communities. And, you know, are their religious freedoms being respected? Are their human rights being respected? So we've got to be careful when religious fundamentalists masquerade as guardians of religious freedom. They're usually talking about their own religious freedom and not necessarily the freedoms of everyone within that group uh, who they wish to control. Um, so, you know, I think the NSS is doing an important job in calling that out. Uh, you know, we campaign for faith schools to be replaced by inclusive schools. Uh, we campaign for an end to collective worship being imposed where it's uh, not wanted in schools uh, and other places such as workplaces, council chambers, uh, even the mother of all parliaments, which for some bizarre reason starts every session still with Anglican prayers. So, you know, we, we campaign for everyone's rights and freedoms to be properly balanced. Um, and, you know, we are constantly making the case that, yes, you have the right to your religion, but you don't have the right to impose that on others. And you don't necessarily have the right to have exemptions from laws designed to protect other people, um, you know, or the welfare of animals, for that matter. You know, so often what we see is those seeking to defend religious freedom are only really talking about their own interests. But I'd like to think that secularists are more concerned about everyone's religious freedom and ensuring that we have this kind of this balancing of rights that needs to occur to make sure that everyone's freedoms are respected. And that does sometimes mean us saying no to religious groups, and that doesn't make us popular sometimes. Um, but, you know, we are acting in the interest of freedom and fairness. But a significant focus for us right now is to correct some of these misconceptions around religious freedom that have been allowed to develop. So you ask what the NSS is doing. Well, we've got a major conference coming up in London next May where we'll be getting religious freedom defenders together to make the point that religious freedom is a right that belongs to everyone. Okay. And what could the ordinary person do to reclaim or to protect religious freedom or even just to understand it better? Uh, well, our work is made possible by members and supporters' contributions. So I would say, if, you know, if, if this is something you're interested in, please do join the NSS and be part of the movement that is seeking to create a, you know, a secular Britain where everyone's rights are properly balanced. Um, but it's not just a case of enabling the work we do. I think people everyone, everywhere need to become maybe a little bit more vocal about asserting their rights and also standing up for the rights and freedoms of others. So where you see someone else's religion imposing on your freedom, uh, you know, make a stand and say so, um, but be just as vocal when other people's rights are being unfairly restricted. Okay, I think that's a, kind of a good advice for trying to just get along better together. Well, finally, we'd like to leave our listeners with some recommendations. Uh, Stephen, are there any books or films that you think do a good job of exploring religious freedom that you'd like to share? Well, Two films that I've watched recently come to mind in that they take the abstract concept of religious freedom and show what the live reality of religious freedom being restricted mm. actually looks like. So the first film is Apostasy. Um, it's a film by a British filmmaker called Daniel um, uh, Pocatalo, I think it's pronounced, um, which sheds light on the rarely seen internal workings of the Jehovah's Witnesses and gives an idea of what being a witness is maybe like um, and how stifling it must be, uh, particularly when you lose the faith and find yourself on the receiving end of their, 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 their shunning policies. Um, the second film, which I, I saw just last week, actually, is called Disobedience. Um, and that's a film about 
forbidden love, uh, which happens to be lesbian love in London's Jewish Orthodox community. And, you know, I suppose both of those films are really about how individual human rights and, and religious freedoms can be restricted, you know, not by the state in these cases, but by insular communities. And I think we need to be much more mindful about this. So when religious groups are pushing for group rights, you know, we need to be thinking about the human rights of people within those groups. And I think those two films really do provide an illustration of that. Um, in terms of recommended reading, I'd probably suggest uh, Jacques Blinnerblower's How to Be Secular, which is a real call to arms for religious freedom. And I think that book for me, more than any book of late, probably crystallized my thinking around religious freedom and the fact that secularism um, is probably the world's best defender of it. Uh, if you don't have time to read the book, I think there's a great video of him speaking at an NSS conference a couple of years back uh, in which he presents the key themes of his book. So you can check that out, but uh, I would definitely recommend the book. Okay, well, Stephen, thanks so much for your time and we'll put those links in the show notes. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Before I go, I wanted to thank Stephen and the listeners for joining me for this conversation. We've had a broad overview of religious freedom, but there are lots of different avenues and aspects we can look at, and I look forward to discussing these with my guests over the coming months. You can find the show notes for this episode, including links to some of the films that Stephen mentioned, and to subscribe to this podcast on various platforms at secularism.org.uk forward slash podcast. You'll find a link to this episode's Facebook post, which will be at facebook.com forward slash National Secular Society, where I encourage you to join in the discussion, whatever your views. As mentioned, we are leading up to a pretty major conference at Secularism 2019, Reclaiming Religious Freedom, and that will be in central London this May. You can find details and book your tickets at secularism.org.uk forward slash 2019. All that's left to say is that I hope we'll see you there and that you'll join us for the next episode.